as we push forward in worship this morning, as we look at the scriptures together and we finish this series that we've been on, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 34. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, whether it's a printed copy or an online copy, it's on your phone or your iPad or whatever, feel free to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. It'll also be on the screens for you to follow there. And as we are becoming more and more familiar with, when I don't forget, we will um, read the passage and then remember, and I will speak, that it is the word of the Lord and your response, thanks be to God, just to remind us of the truth of what we hear. So let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 34. It says, Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in the valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day no one knows the exact place. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me again say welcome. If you're here in the room with us, thanks for being here. If you're with us online, thanks for being here and being uh, with us in worship this morning. Um, whether you're in your living rooms or at your kitchen or here in the gymnasium with us, thank you for coming together as we worship. Uh, a week or two ago, as I was thinking about this service and kind of my last few weeks, I remembered something and started looking back uh, to when I first got here in 
February of 2014, uh, and by the time we got to March, I was preaching the first series that I had preached at Valley, and it was a series on Joshua. We looked to the story of Joshua and the transition that was taking place in that time. Joshua as the leader who led the Israelites toward God and the promised land after Moses had led them. It feels fitting to me that as we draw to a close with our service here that now we look to Moses, that we started with that beginning of Joshua and now we look to the end of Moses. We look to a different character and a different form of leadership. And rather than transitioning in, what it means to transition out. But in thinking about that and thinking about what was happening with Moses and what happens just a chapter apart as we look at this entire story of the Israelites, we find that the primary challenge that God had for Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 was be strong and courageous. Over and over again, it's repeated in the chapter. Over and over again, it comes back to it, and God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. It's in verse 6, it's in verse 7, it's in verse 9. Over and over again, be strong and courageous. As he takes on this mantle of leadership from Moses, the call of God is, Joshua, be strong and courageous. As I think about us today, I think about Callie and I, Callie and me, our kids, our family as we prepare to transition into something different, knowing that there's a multitude of challenges, that there's some incredible risk involved with what we're doing and what it will look like, and believing that this call to Joshua is a call to us, be strong and courageous. As I think about you, as I think about Valley, a place that we have served and walked alongside you in. I think about the call of God that I believe is also over you. As you as a church look to clarify the road ahead, to make some decisions for what's coming and what happens next and how you continue to move forward in pursuit of God's will, I believe that the call of God is over you as it was Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And I want you to know these actions of being strong and courageous have already begun in our valley body. Just this week, our leadership team, our group of leaders that kind of lead a multitude of our areas of ministry all met together, actually in this room, all spread out together. And we begin to talk about what some of the road ahead looks like. And we talked about clarifying some of our plans for what we would do and what would happen as I walk towards the last few weeks. The goal at this point is that November 1 will be the last Sunday that I am here with Valley, so we are preparing for that together. It's one of the reasons you saw more faces on the screen this morning. There's other volunteers running things that I have been running some weeks as we're trying to hand some things off that we should have handed off months ago, but we're making those steps to begin to move in that way. The leaders also, as they came together, recognized the need for for them to continue to step up into their places of leadership and give it uh, the energy and the strength that those specific places needed and that they have done so and will continue to do so in the days ahead. We talked about calling in a consultant, someone to come and help us get our eyes on who we are and who we're called to be and what the road ahead looks like as we choose to walk forward. I've said to some of you, and I want to say it loudly and clearly over and over again, I believe that Valley needs to claim this as a defining moment for who we be in the days ahead. 
choosing where we want to go. So we're looking at a consultant um, that the church can visit with uh, that can come in and help make some decisions and help us get some clarity on what's happening. We're looking at some interim preaching options and already have begun to consider a few of those. We'll have some conversations this week about how they can come in and quickly begin to fill in this role uh, in the weeks that follow after my leaving. I actually believe based on some of those decisions and the talk with a consultant and some of the, the hopes for what may happen with an interim preacher and who we're looking at with that, I actually believe that it is quite possible that these days ahead could be some of the best days for Valley. Opportunities for you to dream new dreams, to make new commitments, to pursue and buy into partnerships more fully. But it will require that we be a people, that you be a people who are strong and courageous. That the leaders and the membership of Valley rise up together and be strong and courageous. And if, as all of us, you in this situation, us as we transition towards Zambia, as we all seek to be strong and courageous, I think we have to take hold of this beautiful promise that God made to Joshua. In verse 9 it says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. There's the calling, there's the command, there's the challenge. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. We can be strong and courageous because we do not walk into this future alone. We can be strong and courageous because God has promised that God will be with us. God has promised that God will lead us. God will take us on a journey and God will go with us as guide and partner, as friend and leader, and that we can follow after God because God is with us in every step of this. So we can be a people who is strong and courageous because the hand of the Almighty God goes with us. I think that Moses understood the significance of this promise, even before it was spoken to Joshua, that Moses had already taken hold of what this meant and what this looked like. As we read from Deuteronomy chapter 34, we read the last chapter of Moses' life, the very end of his story here, of his connection with leading the Israelites forward. And there we find this really fascinating interaction between Moses and God. Story tells us that Moses climbed to the top of Mount Nebo, and that on top of Mount Nebo, that God showed him all of the land that had been promised to Abraham's people. Generations ago it had been promised. And God showed it all to Moses. He let him see it from beginning to end, every piece of it. This was the promised land that Moses had been leading them towards ever since their escape from Egypt. This was the dream. This was his calling. This was his goal. These were his aspirations for himself and for the people that he loved. Now, apparently, and I don't know this because I don't know all the geography of uh, what it looked like in the land that, that they were in, but apparently you can't physically see all of the promised land from the top of Mount Nebo. It's not actually possible with your eyes or my eyes. So somehow God did this miraculous work of showing Moses what he couldn't see with his own eyes, of allowing him to see and experience what he would never have the opportunity to actually walk into. In verse 4 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised 
on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've now allowed you to see it with your own eyes. But you will not enter the land. The passage doesn't remind us why Moses doesn't get to go in. Here we don't get told what's happened that that Moses has led them this far but isn't going to get to go the rest of the way. In other parts of the story we find out that it's because of Moses' disobedience. It's because of the people of Israel's disobedience. The Israelites had been disobedient. Moses had been disobedient. They had not always been strong and courageous. Now, honestly, on the first read of this passage, I have a hard time understanding what's going on in this interaction between God and Moses. As I read it, it feels like to me God is dangling in front of Moses' eyes what Moses will never get the opportunity to experience. It's like he's showing him the dream and and. My cynical side reads it from a perspective that says he's, he's showing him and saying, look what you could have had, but now it'll never come to fruition. Honestly, for me, on a first read, the interaction feels kind of mean. At the very least, unfair. But in Ruth Haley Barton's book that has helped as a guide for us as we've been in this. It's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. She points out some powerful truths that I think that we need to consider as we look at this passage. There is no record anywhere in the story of Moses pushing back on what God does in this moment. There's no complaint about him showing the land and then not letting him go in. There's no disappointment voiced that he's not going to get to go further. No complaint at all happens here with regards to what's happening. And if we read all of Moses' story, if you read Moses' story from beginning to end, one of the things that we learn very clearly about Moses, Moses was never afraid to argue with God. It never bothered him to argue with God. When Moses believed that God had fouled, Moses called his fouls. When Moses believed that God had somehow mistreated him or the people of God, Moses was always willing to call out this, that mistreatment. Even when he believed that God was the one who had done it, when God is the one who had, had mistreated them, Moses was never scared to call God out on the carpet. And more than once, we see that God changes his mind or changes his direction based on Moses' courage to call God out when Moses believed it was necessary. Moses and God were in partnership in this leading the people forward. But here in this section, in this passage, in this understanding of what happens, we see no such thing. There's no criticism of God's decision that Moses can't go in. There's no fight to go ahead and let him get there anyway, to say, God, we, we almost made it. We're almost there. Let us walk in. Notice what this might say about your character and your grace, which Moses had said before. But here he says no such thing. He doesn't voice any disappointment on what it is that he can't have. And it's so vital that we remember Moses was never afraid to do that with God. But here he didn't do so. So it seemingly can't be out of fear. I think instead what we see going on is that Moses was satisfied. 
Moses was satisfied with this opportunity he had to stand on the mountain with God. He was the only one there. It was him and God, and they were it. And he was able to look into the land that his people would one day inhabit. He would never get to experience that blessing, never get to walk into the land on his own. And yet Moses was at peace. All that he had experienced, all that he had done with God was enough. In fact, it seems like it was more than enough. That this opportunity with God, he, cre- he understood as so sacred and so special that Moses was fully satisfied in this. Barton, in her book, writes, For Moses, the presence of God was the promised land. Friends, as you and I prepare for some transitions, for separation that will lead me and my family to a different place, and you continue to stay here, i got to be honest with you. There are some things that I look at that I feel like were dreams that we had seven years ago that still haven't come to fruition. Hopes that are unfulfilled. Things that we thought we would do together, that we thought we would experience together that we haven't yet. And I would be lying to you if I said anything other than there are moments that I wrestle with disappointment in that. Disappointment in me, Disappointment in decisions we've made. Disappointment in what's happened. Disappointments in the experience. Maybe you have some similar feelings. Some feelings of, of wishing other things had happened or changes or whatever they might be. So what is it we do with this? What is it that I do with some of these disappointments? With some of these questions? With some of these wonderings about what has not happened that I hoped or I wished might happen? I think this is where we find that the model of Moses and the promise made to Joshua becomes so incredibly significant. Barton says, is it possible for a leader, I added, or any Christ follower, to have encountered God so richly that no matter what we are working toward here on this earth, we know we already have what we most deeply want? The presence of God. That which can never be taken from us. Friends, what would it take? What would it take for you and I to have experienced the presence of God in such a significant and overwhelming way? To have experienced God so deeply that we are a people that are satisfied being in the presence of Jesus, and that is enough. We don't need anything else. That's the only thing that we long for, the only thing that we desire, the only thing that we want. It's the entire pursuit of this conversation of strengthening the soul. It's the goal, it's the purpose of disciple-making. That you and I can become a people who recognize that existing in the presence of God is not only sufficient, is not only enough. Living in the presence of God is everything. This is the promised land. 
So if we've been faithful over the last seven years, if we've been faithful to follow after God, to walk alongside Jesus, to exist in the presence of Jesus, and if the days ahead, Valley is a people who continue to be faithful to that, continue to be faithful to being in the presence of Jesus no matter what happens or what we do, then we are the kind of people who have decided that our focus is not on what we do or what we achieve. As people with this strength of soul, as people who are being formed in the image of Christ. It's not about whether or not we have better jobs or bigger houses or growing churches or stable finances in our home or in our church. Those things aren't the goal. The call instead is that we be a people who exist deeply in the presence of Jesus and know that that is enough. In fact, that is everything. That we become the kind of people who recognize that in this pursuit of being and making disciples, the presence of God is the promised land. Nothing matters more. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more desirable. There is no greater calling than exactly that. Deuteronomy chapter 34 is where Moses' journey in leadership ended. So much left undone, so much not yet finished, so much unsaid. But we're told that this is the end of his story. He was 120 years old. And in verse 7 of chapter 34, it says, He was as strong as ever. At 120 years old, as strong as ever, fully healthy, still able to move on. He just looked into the promised land side by side with God. He knew that he would never be able to be in that land. But what we find is true in Deuteronomy chapter 34 is that Moses had seen and done everything that he was created to do. Now that doesn't mean there weren't missteps, that doesn't mean there weren't sins, but he had done all that he had been created to do. He had walked this journey in the presence of God. And for him, that was enough. That was all he had to have. That was sufficient. It was everything. The passage doesn't say so, but as I imagine the passage, I like to try and imagine what they might look like and what might happen. What words aren't necessarily included in the passage that might have been spoken between the two of them. And I actually want to imagine that Moses and God stood there side by side looking out on the promised land. And that together, without being prepared, without thinking about it, that together they both spoke the same words that we see that God speaks in the end of our biblical creation story. That together they looked out and said, it's is very good. And for Moses and for God, that was enough. As Barton brings her exploration of Moses towards an end, there's a paragraph that was really powerful for me that I want to share the entire paragraph with you. Here's what she writes. She says, Every time I read about Moses' relationship with God, I'm filled with longing. And it's not the longing to get somewhere, although there are always new places to get to. It is the longing to be a certain kind of person. A person who knows God. A person who is faithful against all odds and does not shrink back. A person through whom God can perform whatever deeds need to be done, mighty or otherwise. But also... A person who can be just as content 
settling down beside a well, or sitting on the side of a mountain in God's presence. Someone whose face shines because she has been talking to God. Someone whose every move is a result of an attempt to listen to God and then do what he says. Someone who when God says, it's time to let go. It's time for you to come home. Easily lets go and rests in the arms of this one whom she has grown to love and trust with her very being. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be a man with that kind of faith and confidence and trust in God. With that kind of strength and courage to know that while I, while we may have disappointments, God is still working in mighty and powerful ways in the midst of valley. And that will not stop. So we should be a people who are strong and courageous. It's my hope that we experience this kind of strength of soul in the days ahead. That we're the kind of people who know life in the presence of God is the promise of the promised land. It wasn't about the place. It wasn't about the milk, of, milk and honey. It was about being in a space where they existed deeply in the presence of God. It was holy ground because of that. This same space, this same people, this same gathering is holy ground for exactly the same reasons. We have the chance to exist deeply in the presence of God. Pray with me, would you? Precious Lord Jesus, it is my hope that we would come to know you and trust you as fully as Moses did. That we would have the strength and the courage to voice our disappointments and also the strength and the courage to trust that you know what you are doing. That we can be strong and courageous because you go with us. You will go with me and my family as we move to the other side of the world. You will go with Valley. As this church, your church, whom you deeply love, makes decisions about what the future holds. So God, may we be a people who are strong and courageous, trusting in the presence of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.